what you've been waiting for. Please welcome your host and future president of the United States, Sammy Obeyed. I'm just going to go ahead and cut to the chase. I'm running for president in 2036. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. How are we feeling out there? Ooh. All right. Yes. Um, as you know, I normally wear uh, some kind of suit or suit jacket for this event, but our guest today may be a communist, so just trying to play it safe. Uh, we have a fantastic guest, someone I've known for a very, very long time. So thank you for tuning in. And, um, you know, there's so much going on right now. Uh, as many of you heard, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle had their second child. Yeah. So uh, with any luck, uh, that'll be the last we ever hear of them. <laughs> this week, Kamala Harris traveled to Guatemala and Mexico, uh, her first international trip, so that she could tell Guatemalans not to come to Americans' border. And honestly, it was a little cagey. <laughs> the Senate passed a bipartisan bill to compete with China's R&D spending. Yep, nothing, nothing more bipartisan than xenophobia. Phobia. <laughs> um, Biden revoked a Trump order that would ban TikTok. You guys hear about that? Now, if he could only revoke the anti-Palestinian TikTok ban that banned me. <laughs> and now we've been banned on Zoom. <laughs> the Senate reported on the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Uh, it was revealed that the Capitol Police ignored intelligence. And so did the insurrectionists. <laughs> Uh, the New York Post reports that in a series of bizarre texts, Hunter Biden called his white attorney the N-word. And if that isn't the Demo Democratic, and if that isn't the Democratic Party right now, racist enough to say the N-word, but only used to address white people. <laughs> and lastly, Jeff Bezos is going to space. Ooh. While the rest of us pay taxes. All right, my tax paying citizens. Are we ready to have a good time? Yes. Hell yes. Uh, the guest tonight we have bringing coming to the stage. Oh, hell yeah. We're, whoa, we got 16 in here. We're doing this big. Um, Amazing dude, known him for many, many years. Uh, I admire him uh, a lot as a comedian, and so does my family. Uh, everybody, welcome, Mr. Nato Green. We. <laughs> this hey, is buddy. good. Thank you. Oh, hey, good to see you. Um, yes, B B Y O E. Bring your own energy. And what are you drinking there? I made an old fashioned. Okay. Didn't know you were an old fashioned kind of guy. Um, thanks for joining. Are you, have you been still doing a lot of Zoom stuff? Are you are you out doing real shows or? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, I, um, I, I haven't been super engaged in like doing Zoom stand up sets. I've done a lot of um, 
you know, my sweet spot is the political comedy chat format podcast. <laughs> I love I love a chat format. Yeah. Uh, so this is perfect for me. Um, uh, you know, so I'm I'm I do I do the bugle pretty regularly um, with Andy Zaltzman. There's a British-based podcast. I do the Bituation Room with Francesca Fiorentini. Uh, I do the Last Post uh, from Australia. So political chat—that's my jam. And then um, I've started returning doing live shows. It took like three shows to remember how, how to do it. You know, <laughs> three spots live. That's uh, good. That's three. That's pretty low. Yeah, and so and then I brought my kid to one of them, one of my one of my twelve year old twins, oh, to wow. watch the fourth show, um, and so sh she hung out and and I was closing and as usual, as is often the case, the the other comics were younger than me, and my twelve year old was like, yeah, they seemed young, uh, they were <laughs> nice, but they seemed young, and because she's a good kid, uh, like one of them was talking about uh like eating pussy and my kid was like this is inappropriate i'm gonna go in the other room um, so uh, wow yeah that's what and, and i'm assuming first show they've ever been to right no they've been to some shows i mean they've seen me at comedy day in the park in san yeah, francisco gotcha. oh, right. uh and they've been to some other shows um uh and they actually like occasionally they'll be like daddy let's play your album <laughs> uh, like on a wow. road trip yeah wow i didn't know having kids would be like that um i usually hear horror stories of just kids telling uh comedian parents to quit but um I guess yours are different speak yeah yeah well i was gonna ask how how does it feel to be my parents' favorite comedian uh <laughs> it 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 feels good i mean it's it's like the uh i'm i'm i think i'm a number of comedians parents favorite comedian um <laughs> uh and i'm sorry that you're not your parents favorite comedian um but uh maybe if you were more explicitly anti-zionist and revolutionary <laughs> they would be on board um but um you know, it's uh, like I uh, I I wish that younger people liked me more, but I'm glad that old leftists like me a lot. So <laughs> I'll you, you take your victories where you can. Yeah, yeah. No, they still talk about you. Um, so so con congrats, I guess. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I've always you know I've always been inspired by your work. You. I remember when I first became acquainted with you, you were doing Laughter Against the Machine. Are you still doing that? No, Laughter Against the Machine, I mean, stopped as a, as a live show after it was, um, originally it was me and W. Kamau Bell and Hari Kondabolu. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them. Yeah. Um, uh, and they, and then, um, we added Janine Brito and then Kamau and Hari and Janine and I toured together as Laughter Against the Machine. And then Kamau got the first television show on FX, the Totally Bias with W. Kamau Bell. Yeah. And we all moved to New York to do that show and sort of Laughter Against the Machine stopped at that point. Um, however, uh, in the last year, um, so when we toured, when Kamau and Janine and I toured in, in 2011, we filmed it and, um, and we filmed us like going to places that represented political issues. It's sort of like the prequel of what became Kamau's show, United Shades of America. Mm -hmm. um, and 
that like got exhumed from the sands of time and released <laughs> uh, as a streaming series on the world's first post-capitalist worker-owned subscription streaming platform, which is Means TV. Um, so, <laughs> if you, if you, there are there are pay what you can subscriptions available to Means TV, and you can check out Laughter Against the Machine. I'm told that it is that it has become their most watched original show. Um, wow! I don't, I don't. That's I talk about serving in heaven or ruling in hell, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, to be the most watched show on a platform that no one's heard of, but it's great. I feel good about it. I'm glad it came out. And so like the way that we did the tour in 2011 is that we went to places that sort of the, the inspiration of it was some horrible thing happened in Arizona. And we were like, there are people in Arizona who could use a laugh. There definitely have to be cool people in Arizona. But what, what horrible thing isn't, I mean, isn't that pretty much every day? It is pretty much every day. The specific horrible thing that prompted the tour was- The gender uh, reveal party. The no. Gabby Giffords shooting. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and so then we like we went and we come out. Janine and I went and like met with immigrate with like activists in Arizona, and we crossed the U.S. Mexico border and visited det detention facilities, uh, and we we went to the um, the the uh, largest mosque in America in Dearborn, Michigan. Um, we went to the uh, uh, hotel strike in Chicago. We went to the Lower Ninth Ward in New Orleans. Um, and then while we were on tour, Occupy Wall Street started. And so suddenly we were basically touring Occupy Wall Street events um, and like, you know, uh, in the middle of, of police mayhem and, uh, and protests and stuff. And so we were sort of embedded in Occupy Wall Street because we were already on tour at that point. And so it's really, I mean, it, it, I think it, Laughter Against the Machine, if you, I, I really want people to watch it because even though it's now a decade old, it actually holds up and still feels relevant. Um, yeah. uh, it turns out that America didn't solve the problems of uh, racism and xenophobia and, uh, and economic exploitation that we were dealing with at that time. Do you and, and now, you know, you said it's kind of like the precursor to uh, United Shades, which is an awesome show. Love Kamau, uh, but it's on it's on CNN. Would you consider that the machine? Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, occasionally I get phone calls from people on the left being like, what the fuck? Why did Kamau do blah, blah, blah? <laughs> well, this is a sellout take. Why didn't he, you know, critique imperialism more? And I was like, he's doing what he can on CNN. Cut him some slack. Uh, so. Um, and Abhishek Sheikh is asking, where can I torrent this show? Uh, I don't know about torrenting, but you can <laughs> laughter against the machine. You can watch for free on means TV. If you can, you can go on their website and say, I can't afford a subscription. Can I watch, you know, can I have a free sub subscription for zero? And they'll say yes. So, uh, but go to means TV is, is where you can see it. And I actually think they told me that later this year, we're going to release it for free on YouTube. So, oh, awesome. uh, so if you follow me on Twitter at NATO green or Mr. NATO green on Instagram, I will announce it there. Um, when it, when it comes out on YouTube, uh, so, cause we want to make it, we, as good socialists, we have to redistribute the comedy to the masses. Absolutely. Um, I will say like one of the people, people, uh, always ask me how it is that I managed to be such an optimist um, <laughs> despite all of the everything and the laughter against the machine tour is part of the answer which is in early 2011 Gabby Giffords is, gets massacred the tea party is running amok we're all disappointed with Obama you know people were like this is we had all this hope 
uh, for Obama and it didn't work out. And, um, and then Occupy blew up and like, and you know, I remember there was one night I was sitting at my computer watching Twitter what, and, and I just watched the feed of uh, when Occupy spread from New York across the country. And people were like, Occupy Chicago, meet at this place tomorrow. Occupy Portland, meet at this place tomorrow. tomorrow. Occupy New Orleans, meet at this place tomorrow. And it spread like overnight all across the country and became this national movement that changed Americans' perception of e economic inequality and capitalism permanently. Like public opinion polls still reflect the permanent change in public opinion that Occupy resulted in. And so the part of the reason that I'm always an optimist is that you is that is that history teaches us that you never know what's going to happen next. That is true. That 2011 was the year that I started hating capitalism. So cheers to that. You're welcome. Uh, this is um, uh, that, that, that's a it's a Moscow mule. I was no, gonna it's, guess. Not, it's, it's just water. It's a mosque mule. Uh huh. <laughs> I was going to it looked like a julep cup, maybe. <laughs> it is quite shiny. Um, and, and so, you know, this kind of just goes to show you have experience in being a union organizer. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. Is that, is that the term? Am I miss? Is there a more proper term? Uh, I mean, union organizer is the term that I use most often. Um, to be honest, these days I'm doing less organizing. Mostly I'm a negotiator. Oh, um, so like when, you know, when union workers go to meet with their manager or their employer to negotiate the terms of their employment, uh, I get brought in to help them negotiate, uh, negotiate on their behalf. That's amazing. So I'm trying to get SAG, you know, SAG Screen Actors Guild. I've heard of it. Would you, are you available for that kind of thing? Like, I'm just trying to get a couple more IMDb creds. Yeah, sure. I get that. <laughs> uh, yeah, totally. Happy to help. That's amazing. And, and, and so you started in organizing and now you're negotiating. Yeah. Uh, and how long have you been doing that for? I've been doing union work in some form or another for, I don't know, 23 years. Uh, long time. I'm so very old. <laughs> when you were a kid, did you like see a union on the street and just said, like, I got to get in that? <laughs> uh, kind of. I mean, when, when I was uh, when I was three, my dad was active in the teachers union and went on strike. And so I was like on strike with the teachers union, uh, with my dad. Um, it, but you know, honestly, it's like it, it, so I am certainly motivated by like visions of justice, but we're all friends here, Sammy, we can be honest. Like sometimes our political motivations are about justice and wanting a better world, but, and sometimes there you, we have less savory or righteous motivations and that's okay too. And when I was a little kid, I was a troubled child. Like I was kicked out of many preschools for attacking other children and breaking stuff. I was expelled from one school because I was like, I would go into the bathroom and uh, and pee all over the all the toilet paper to soak it with my own urine and then leave it there. You were always uh, a socialist, man. <laughs> uh, so I was like, I was, you know, so I was like, people are like, that kid's going to be a criminal. He's a problem child. And then I, it's like, I just figured a, figured out a, like a constructive outlet for my aggressions, which is like, my parents will say that the, the delight and glee that I bring to like, like when I find bosses that are bullies and fucking ruining their lives is yeah. the same delight that I brought to like knocking other children's art projects off the table in kindergarten. <laughs> That's awesome that your parents saw it. So I guess I should ask you now, how does it feel to be your own parents' favorite comedian? <laughs> I don't know if that's right. 
you know, I, I, uh, it, it feels, it feels good. You know, I mean, as, as an oldest Jewish son, of course, with my parents, they're always like, you know, they'll, they'll watch some somebody's comedy, somebody's comedy special. And they'd be like, you're as funny as Jon Stewart. Why don't you have a television show? It's like such typical, like, I don't, I don't think that Amy Schumer's that funny at all. You should have a show. <laughs> now, I'm assuming your parents are also lefties like yourself. Is that yes. for, did, correct? Did, but did, did you do the normal kid thing where you had to push it even further? You know, are your parents too left for you? Because my my parents went so far left that I couldn't even go any further. I have I had to go. I had to you know start making deals with the devil. That suggests a lack of imagination, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> you could always go further left. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, it. Well, the um, uh, you know, my yeah, I, I, my parents, my parents were lefties, but they also um, they 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 uh, they they don't have the same quite the same uh, like. Like, as I said, I have some level of just like, uh, I'm a bit of a chaos agent. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I like it when there's like mayhem and everybody's upset and, you know, like there's some <laughs> union negotiation and people are yelling at each other and freaking out and people yeah. are sca scared about going on strike. Like I'm attracted to that kind of, I'm attracted to crisis and yeah. my parents just don't have that temperament. Mm. So they have the same, same political values, but they just don't have the stomach for like, having people fucking hate them the way that I do. <laughs> See, I get why my dad likes you so much because he's, he's exactly the same way. Um, are you vegan too or no? No, I'm not vegan. No, yes, you're right. There is all, you could always go farther left, I guess. Um, so, so, uh, you know, and you grew up in a Jewish household and you know, you are explicitly anti-Zionist. Is this uh, something that you, you know, kind of developed over time or was it just, you know, passed on familially? Uh, I, I definitely developed it over time. Like, um, I have, you know, I have family in Israel that is like connected to the Jewish right. Um, and there's also like there's a generational thing like my grandparents, you know, uh, I mean, arguably Israel has always been a colonial project. But it has it, you know, the Israel of the 1960s is like it's like it's just gotten further and further and more extreme over time. Um, and so, you know, my grandparents were involved in like raising money to fund building schools in Israel and that kind of stuff. And I had family members who like went to work on kibbutzes and that kind of stuff. So I have family members who sort of were sympathetic to um, to Israel uh, and the idea of a Jewish homeland and, you know, and my, and my, and my family really comes from that sort of like Jewish perspective that, that, that as the, the Jewish people, we will never be safe. People will never stop hating us. And so, so we will always be in danger unless we put our own security first. And I understand that perspective, but I reject it. Mm -hmm. Uh, that I, at some point came to the conclusion on my own that, that Jews only looking out for Jews wasn't a real path to security, that what was going to make us safe was solidarity. Uh, and, and part of that, you know, it's like I was in college when Rabin was killed and Netanyahu 
first became prime minister. And, and I remember like, and I had, a, I was part of a, I mean, it just came up again recently. Uh, I was part of a, a Jewish internship program when I was in college. And this, so this is 96 and, you know, and then was listening to these like presentations by these, you know, like Israel advocates about what was going on. And I was just like, this doesn't make any sense at all because so like, partly it's, uh, you know, I mean, to some extent it's informed by, by, by my perspective as a negotiator mm. that it's like, I, you know, cause one of the things that, that I have come to believe is that all negotiations are the same. Like it doesn't matter whether you're negotiating a union contract or you're negotiating an entertainment deal with comedy central, or you're negotiating peace in Palestine. Every negotiation is the same. And uh, that like the basic dynamics of negotiations are the same. And so like the, my first, my first step on the road to become an anti-Zionist was watching uh, people try to justify stuff that Israel was doing and just being like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Like yeah. we're Jews. We're supposed to be smart. That's the only thing we have going, going for us. We're not attractive. We're not popular. No one likes us. We have body hair. I have allergies. Like, <laughs> I have nothing going for me in this world except that I'm supposed to be smart and I got these fucking <laughs> over here who doing the obviously <laughs> dumbest shit in the world. Like how you're making me look bad. Uh, <laughs> well, I, this, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I can totally relate because I have family over there too who doesn't represent, I mean, they're in, they're in Hamas, but uh, you know, there's many different ways of negotiating and uh you know and 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 you're an optimist as you said and 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 what i've noticed is that when it comes to this issue so many people are pessimistic oh they're always going to keep fighting because there will never be a solution palestine doesn't want doesn't want an israel israel doesn't want a free palestine but you're an optimist so you see a solution what is the solution um well so here's my take as an optimist is that um is that you know, I mean, and, and I don't want to get like, you know, so this is well, partly my perspective as an optimist and partly my perspective as a negotiator. Uh, as a negotiator, what I can say is once upon a time, Oslo was, the, there was an Oslo structure on the table and it didn't happen. Uh, and so that window has closed. There is going to be, there is no more two-state solution. The way, like, as, this, I am somebody who, is study, who studies history a lot. And all occupations end. The current situation, they're not always going to be fighting. It's going to end. So the only decision is how big of a body count do you want? It's not, does it end? This story is going to end one way or another, inevitably by the force of history with the secular, pluralist, multicultural state, you know, from the river to the sea. <laughs> and the question is, how many people need to die before we get there? And that's, the only, yeah. that's the only question. And so it's like the suit, we just need to figure out how to move people to get to the, that to accept that there is an inevitable conclusion and they're fighting a, a losing battle against history. Um, and in fact, you know, public opinion has moved. Like the fact, you know, that the fact that we have people like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, you know, like being brilliant about US foreign policy inside of Congress, that did not exist, you know, like, right. you know, I remember when the voice of like the left in the Democratic, in the House of Representatives was fucking Dennis Kucinich. Like, <laughs> you know, this is so like, I'll take Ilhan Omar over Dennis Kucinich a million times over. Like, so. Um, yeah. 
And, and this is interesting because, you know, I, like you, I also believe that the two-state solution is not going to work. I'm the other way, though. I, I believe in a six-state solution. Um, I think that there should be in Israel for the Jews who want a strictly Jewish state, there should be a Palestinian state for people who want to be with Hamas and only be with Hamas. Then there's a Palestinian Hamas free state. And then there's a secular Israel, but uh, everybody has equal rights. And then uh, there's Jerusalem, which is an international city and open to all. And then there's a guest, a guest country, like a guest room, like a guest country. If anybody <laughs> wants to hang out, I, I, don't, uh, right? And I think they need a state for the Palestinian Christians, which also exists that people don't realize. True, true. Yes, like my grandma, just her. Uh, so, so a couple of weeks ago, I took my kid, one of my one of my twelve year olds, to uh, to a, the Free Palestine March in San Francisco. And they, you know, it was a good learning opportunity and we were, they were asking questions. And, uh, and one of the questions was, they said, people were chanting, we don't want two states, we want 48. And they were referring, obviously, to referring to the returning to the 1948 borders. Right. Right, right. But my kid was like, why do they want 48 states? <laughs> like, you people can barely handle one state. Like... <laughs> That's funny. And, and speaking of states, I know that for a while you lived in Cuba, and I was trying to look that up on the map of the U.S. What you Haiti? See, yes, Haiti, Cuba, uh, Cuba, Cuba. You lived in Cuba, and I was I was trying to look it up on the map of the United States, but I couldn't find it. Am I spelling it wrong? Uh, no, no, you're not spelling it wrong. Uh, Cuba, Cuba is uh, ninety miles away from from Florida. Um, but it's, it's, except, except for Guantanamo, it's its own place. And I know, I, and I know you like blogged and, and spoke a lot about it, but I actually never heard you talk about it. Cause I, I ran into you before you were going there, you were on your way there. And then I didn't see you for a while after. So how, how was it? Um, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Um, Cuba is a very special place and like the, you know, you know that thing, were you a Harry Potter fan, Sammy? Not really. There's a thing they talk about in Harry Potter about how like Harry was was the one because Voldemort picked him. Mm -mm, yeah. And that because Voldemort tried to kill him, that's what gave Harry his powers. Right. That That's like Cuba is the Harry Potter and the United States is Voldemort. <laughs> um, the, so the, um, uh, you know, like you, you talk to Cubans and they're like, we're just, we, you know, we're this tiny impoverished Caribbean country, but the U.S.'s determination to destroy us is what made us anything remotely significant. Um, you know, I like, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Cuba has lots of problems. Cuban people are very frustrated. They, they will, you know, if you talk to them for five minutes, they will complain at length about like all the things that they're mad about, um, about their, about the way that their system is and about their government. Um, uh, you know, and so there's, there's certainly issues like there's, I, I don't know if you, if you're following it, but there's like a whole controversy right now, um, about what they call the San Isidro movement and, uh, and repression of Cuban artists. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and when I was there, I was picked up by the police too, um, and, and detained, uh, because it turns out that Cuban police, like have no way of processing the concept of left-wing American comedian podcaster. <laughs> um, like they were like, 
what are you talking about? <laughs> um, so uh, uh, that just sounded like definitely a terrorist. So, so they uh, heard they heard you speaking and they found you, or no? I was walking down. I had like an audio recorder. Um, and I was walking down the street talking to my audio recorder, just talking to myself. And uh, and they stopped me and they were like, what is that? And I was like, oh, it's an audio recorder it's for a podcast. And they were like, what is that? Um, and I was like, so, uh, so, and they just, and it was like, and I was sort of in the neighborhood where I lived, which is where all the embassies are. So it's a sort of higher security area. Um, and, uh, and it was, um, and I was like on my way trying to go to see my first comedy show there. Um, Cause there's a whole homegrown comedy scene in Cuba oh. um, that, that nobody, that people off the Island don't even know about. Um, and uh, so I was trying to go to the comedy show and I was talking about like, I'll walk into the show, talking to the recorder about how I felt about going to a comedy show and uh, and they didn't believe me. So they just like they had they held they held me at the police station until they could find someone who understood enough English that when I played it back, they were like, oh, this is not about like <laughs> this is not about how to overthrow the government. Um, when they heard so, it, did they laugh? Uh, no, no, not at all. Um, so they um, but, you know, the thing. It's like I feel like the way that people in the United States tend to talk about Cuba is like at a million feet. Like it's like that Cuba is a symbol. We talk about Cuba as an argument of is socialism a success or failure? And and my conclusion from living there is that um, uh, is that the Cuban people are very much like all people, uh, which is that they're complicated. Mm -hmm. um and that they have things that they like about their country and things that they don't like about their country i mean just just like americans like you know when uh when like you know something bad happens in the united states uh when people get salmonella from kissing chickens in the united states and cdc has to put out a warning saying stop kissing chickens <laughs> americans are not like this country is a failed system we need to burn down the constitution start over like that's not how people process their problems with their country and so um, you know, Cubans are complicated. Also, Cubans are very sexy. They're super into like presentation. Uh, you know, Cubans will like, like, like shape their eyebrows to go to the corner store. They're in the like iron slacks to go to the corner store. They are put together. Um, particularly in Havana. They, they made socialism sexy is what you're saying. They made socialism hell of sexy. Like, you know, you heard, hear all this stuff about Cuba being like this austere socialist totalitarian state. And then you go there and you see all these sexy people with tattoos taking selfies. Uh, and you're like, this doesn't seem that bad. Um, <laughs> so, and, um, and then like the, and also that, you know, the education level is very high. Um, and there's no, I mean, I actually, I wrote an article a few months ago uh, in a uh, there's an online arts magazine called Hyperallergic. I wrote an article about Cuban arts, about the about the support for the arts in Cuba because um, there's massive subsidies for art. So like here, if you want to be an artist, you have to take on a lot of debt. Uh, like like it's like you can't just have any you know that there's all these barriers to entry. And then and then if you become an artist to be a working artist, like there's a lot. It's financially very difficult. Or musician. Um, or dancer 
And in Cuba, there's massive public subsidy for the art. Cubans will, some Cubans will say, that's just for show. It's not right. adequate, whatever. There's critiques, but, you know, having like, uh, having had the, I mean, let me put it this way. For you, um, uh, as, as a American comedian, having to deal with capitalist entertainment, what would, how would you feel if I told you that every Cuban comedian has guaranteed healthcare and a pension? Um, yeah, yeah, but 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 can they walk down the street with a recorder? Uh, they don't even know what a recorder is, so they don't have to worry uh, about it. Yeah, yeah, I see. Uh, no, I mean that does sound amazing. That does sound amazing. And but, there, there's a guy. So I met this guy. There's a, com- a Cuban comedian named Kiki Quinones, uh, and he he I met him, and he said uh, he said his job. He's the only person in the world whose job it is to represent all the comedians in his country to the government. Wow. Um, and so he like, and so it, the, there, there's no such thing in Cuba as a, like a freelance artist, all artists are organized into these entities that do productions and give them a steady paycheck. And, you know, again, there's, there are challenges. There's people struggle to get enough food. There's a art embargo, you know, some, there's lots of problems. Um, but there's also, you know, I mean, again, to bring my children into it. Um, you know, we've, my, in my family, we spent time in Cuba, we spent time in Mexico and in Mexico, there's this like huge inequality. There are people who, some of the richest people in the are in the world, uh, in Mexico and incredible poverty. And my, and my kids were having seen like, in, you know, that kind of inequality and suffering in Mexico and then going to Cuba, they say, we, they, one of my kids said, I think Cuba is the fairest country in the world. Because, uh, because nobody has too much and nobody has nothing. That is that's the definition of socialism, isn't it? There you go. Um, so there's a there's a question. Am I allowed to answer this question about whether about there's an underground scene? Yes, there is. Yeah, there's definitely an, a Cuban underground scene. Um, you, you so just for instance, so I mentioned the San Isidro movement. There are like um, uh, Cuban hip hop sort of broke out of, a, of an underground scene reggaeton like there's a, actually a fair amount of public controversy about about the popular popularity of reggaeton on the island because there are these cuban reggaeton artists and there's sort of a debate about about standards of, of, of obscenity that are in in reggaeton oh and, yeah so so there, there is a quite a bit of censorship in arts uh yeah yeah, I mean, yeah, I, but so I mean, there's free healthcare. <laughs> there's free healthcare, but it's like, like I, like I know Cuban artists who, who like know the name of the guy from the government whose job it is to spy on them. Oh wow! Like you know, like awesome. I know I people who know who can tell when when the government is tapping their phone. Like we knew who the who from the government was tracking us. It's just like the surveillance is part of life, and people learn how to work around it and so when i um so for example i went to a cuban comedy show just to like use the comedy example um at the karl marx theater which was a the karl marx theater is a 5000 seat theater in havana and it was and it was sold out for a month uh and and like and so uh and and the comics were killing like people falling out laughing and 
and and I'm watching the comedy and um uh and and the 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 uh our housekeeper took me to the show with her family and um and she was like uh I got you a ticket but the tickets are for Cubans only not for foreigners don't smile don't say anything <laughs> we don't want people to realize you're a foreigner um because <laughs> they're different pricing for cubans and foreigners mm -hmm. and so she takes me to the show we're sitting together and she's like translating this the like the dirty words to me to make sure i understand and um and the comics are killing but i'm like it just seems like at first it seems to me like hacky observational comedy about <laughs> like go, you know going to the grocery store or whatever and then I realized that um, that going that like in Cuba, because the government controls the economy, like when when a Cuban comic makes fun of going to the grocery store and getting stale bread, every the audience understands that they're making fun of the government. Right. So to us, it just sounds like complaining about shitty bread at the grocery store. Right. But to them, it's like, why did the government give us shitty bread? There's a higher social implication that, yeah. And so it's like. There, people talk about how Cubans operate on multiple levels where people are sort of presenting their censorship, but then there's also, there's like, there's censorship, but there's a black market. There's censorship, but there are pe people constantly find ways to find ways to work around it. Um, and, uh, and so there's, there's always this level of like uh, maneuvering to try to figure out how to convey dissident messages um, in, you know, and, and then there's a debate within the artist community about, uh, about whether it's better to hide your critique sort of between the lines or not between the lines. Mm. Uh, you know, I know some Cuban artists who say, you know, the censors spend all their time looking for the critique that's hidden between the lines. The one place they will never think to look is on the lines. Wow. They're busy looking between the lines. <laughs> I, for some reason, I don't think that theory checks out, but that's, uh, they're, they're trying. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, so ha having, you know, lived there and here, obviously, like you said, Cubans are people they are complicated like anybody else. And I know you have your qualms with, uh, American democracy. Do you see the ideal form of government being more like socialism or like democracy, or would you like pick a best of both worlds kind of thing? I think I think I would I would pick about the the best of both worlds. Um, one of the you know I think one of the the big problems um, that Cuba has uh, is um, lack of transparency. Like that 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 in in order for um, you know so for instance like. Uh, you know, it, there are hotels that cater to tourists in Havana that are part of this government run enterprises. And so you can go, you like uh, people from Canada or Europe can go stay in a hotel in Havana and it, it get charged $300 a night. And, um, and some people believe that that revenue subsidize, is, is what subsidizes the universal health care in the schools. But the Cuban people don't actually understand how the government's budget works. Mm. And so it's like, if you're going to tell people, well, the reason that the workers at the hotel, hotel don't get paid more uh, 
is because that money is subsidizing healthcare for the entire country. That's a valid argument to make, but then you need to show people the information. So um, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I, I don't know that I, I want to say that there's a big, there's a, um, you know, I, I've even become, as a result of living in Cuba, I'm, I've become cautious about how, how much I identify as a, as a communist or a socialist, because my Cuban friends uh, don't identify, like, have frustrations with socialism and, and communism. You know, I was wearing like a Democratic Socialist of America T-shirt that I had in Cuba. And <laughs> trying to fit in. <laughs> I was trying to fit in, and this Cuban, this, and I'm in a taxi, and the taxi driver says to me. Are you a communist? <laughs> and I was like, mm, yes, I think so. Um, and uh, and uh, and and I said, what do you think of that? And he said, well, you have more money than me. Um, <laughs> so it's like it, I've I you know that when I I you know when I talk about being a, like a socialist or communist or Marxist, I'm talking about my assessment of the failures of American capitalism sure. um, and not, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm, I endorse Stalinism or, you know, I, th I mean, I, when I talk about, when I think about Cuba, I think my, the, one of the conclusions that I reached about Cuba is that you can point to lots of failures of Cuba and lots of problems in Cuba, but they, I think Cuba is first and foremost, a pillaged poor Caribbean country and second, a socialist country. Hmm. You know, like there's this there's this myth among people who criticize Cuba that if not for socialism, Cuba would be like, you know, like the United States. And that's not the case. If not for socialism, Cuba would be like Haiti, mm -hmm. like a fucking poor, plundered country. Um, so socialism works when people are rich. Got it. OK. I mean, socialism works when you have enough resources to make it work. Sure. Um, you know, that it's like. Uh, you know, I want to I want to encourage everybody to, to 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 read the classic book Black Jacobins by C.L.R. James that was published in the 1930s about the Haitian Revolution. This the Haitian Revolution is the country is the world's first successful slave rebellion, and it's like the the slaves in Haiti rebel. They they oust the French, uh, and then and then France France imposes uh, a restitution on them where Haiti has to spend the next hundred years paying back the cost of the slaves to France. And Haiti has never recovered from that. Uh, and if, if, if France hadn't insisted on plundering Haiti in that way, Haiti would be a functional society today in a way that it's not now. That, that's really interesting. And, and then, so, you know, you, you come back to America, did you have any appreciation for, you know, some of our anti anti communist values that you left behind. Uh, I mean, you know, there's a way that, like, um, you know, I it's like I, you know, I like food. It's fun to be able to, <laughs> it's fun to be able to eat what you want when you want to. Um, you know, it's fun to be able to, um, to you know, I mean, there there were like there were times when I was there where like, there was just no toilet paper for a week. Like the whole country ran on toilet paper for a week. And so then you have to- Wait, March 2020, yeah. Then, then you have to wrestle with hard questions like how clean does my butthole really need to be? Um, <laughs> that you never thought you would have to ask yourself, you know? <laughs> um, so, 
it's like there's a way that living in Cuba prepared my family for the pandemic because we learned to appreciate uh, not having enough. We learned to appreciate making do with what we had. We learned to appreciate being resourceful. Um, and, and also, you know, we appreciate just like the ease of life, you know, that we, that it exists in the United States, like in Cuba, sometimes you have to wait in line for eight hours for something, uh, and there's no way around it. Um, and, you know, and like I, and it's, and, you know, most especially run food and there's not easy access to Wi-Fi, yeah. and you can't watch anything that you want. Like, um, so you also I mean, our government's transparency, like with the cap capital attacks and COVID. Right. And I like, and I appreciate like that, I, that, I mean, this is a thing that I have done in, in America. I can walk into any government, well, not any, but almost any government hearing it, and they have to let me talk for two minutes. Really? Is that a, that's a fact? There is, it's, it's public comment there. I have a bunch of videos on, online of this where wow. I will, I will show up at hearings and give comedy public comment where I wow. can, ro I can roast my political enemies to their fucking faces and they have to let me do it and they have to put it on television <laughs> by law. Wow. And now I feel bad about kicking out all those zoom bombers we've had. Uh, <laughs> two minute rule. It's just like the five second rule, the two minute the, rule, the two minute rule. Um, I mean, like, so, you know, I appreciate being able to watch whatever I want to watch when I want to watch it. Like, I appreciate all that stuff, um, it, you know, and and also like, I I also appreciate, um, you know, in, I you know, what I miss is like the, the sense, you know, that there's a real, um, there's very strong community ties. Like, like when we were in Havana, whenever any of us got, you know, if my kid got a cold, the whole, everyone on the block knew about it. And like <laughs> neighbors would be coming over being like, you need to have honey and lemon or whatever. Like, <laughs> well, let me ask you, because we, we have, uh, we have two more questions before we we're going to, we're going to play a game. And, um, you know, uh, you know, you being, you know, into unions and all general thoughts on Jeff Bezos and is all of his bad karma going to come back to bite him aside from the divorce? Uh, uh, probably not. I mean, I think he is, he like, you know, I think there is a, there's a need to unionize Amazon, but uh, I don't think there, anyone has yet. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think we are close to having the strategy and the execute and the, and the resources needed to to really give Jeff Jeff Bezos the comeuppance that he deserves. Do you use Amazon? I do. Okay. <laughs> no further questions. Um, uh, so I mean, come on, Sammy. I'm not Amish. What are we talking about? <laughs> well, you you certainly. I mean, you know, you like my parents. You know a lot about the horrible shit that corporations, specific corporations, do. I'm sure you support BDS. But like certainly there's there's companies that you know have done poorly ethically, but you still buy their products. Yeah, I mean, I have a very I mean, I have a pretty simple answer to that, which is as for someone as an organizer, um, uh, like I think all of all of capitalism is corrupt. And so like it's like either th there's, you know, anything that you purchase. Uh, 
it like either they're unethical business practices that you know about or unethical business practices that you don't know about. The chances that you're going to get something with no unethical business practices are pretty slim. So when like, I just don't, you know, I believe that people who are like making personal choices as consumers, a lot of that is more about personal self-expression than about political power. And I'm mostly concerned about political power. And so when there's a social movement that calls for a boycott as part of a strategy, like people have called for a boycott of Israel, um, then I, I will always support the boycott. But I don't believe in like, I'm just not going to buy that company because I think shop from that company because I think they're assholes because I'm not trying to grow my own food. You don't do solo boycotts is what you're saying. I don't do, I don't do, I do group boycotts. <laughs> and, and, and now my last question is, can anyone unionize and should I be paying my interns in ways other than professional development? Um, uh, that, so that's an interesting question. Uh, yes, anyone can unionize. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's like a, a, always a question about what's attainable. And so what it means to unionize in some contexts as opposed to others is very different. All workers deserve a voice at work. All workers should organize. All workers deserve more power. Um, whether or not the form of that is joining an existing union and having collective bargaining, which is what most unions do, is a totally sort of a different question. But there's many, there's worker centers, there's associations, there's like, there's lots of ways that workers can organize um, that may or may not be unionizing. Got you. So and, the, answer and, is no. the answer is no, guys. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Sammy's <laughs> interns. Um, fantastic. I mean, this is so insightful. Um, you know, we could go on and on, but we do have a very uh, special game we'd like to play. You, you up for a game? Sure. Okay. Um, it depends. Uh, <laughs> Too late. He said sure first. Everybody uh, welcome our resident game show host, Keith. Hello, how you all doing? Good, Hello, thank you. Good to see you. Yes, good to see you as well. So uh, we are going to be playing a game called Roast or Toast. Uh, essentially, I'm going to show you a picture. Uh, Nato, you will be going first. You can choose to either roast the person, place, or thing that we're showing you, or you can toast, and then the next person, which will be Sammy, um, will have to do the, the alternative. So. Nato, if you choose to toast, then the next photo, Sammy will have to roast or vice versa. Does that make and do sense? I just, do, do I just say roast or toast or do I then roast or toast? Then you roast or toast. So you have to say something mean or something nice about what you Got say. it. Okay, ready. All right, so give me one second. All right. So All right. first. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't let you choose roast or toast. Uh, but but you let me know if you want to roast or toast this and go ahead. Uh, waiting in line, I will toast it. As, as someone who lived in Cuba, you, you, you spend a lot of time waiting in line. Um, uh, you learn a lot about yourself while waiting in line. Uh, when you're in Cuba, um, the lines are not always in a line. Uh, what you do when you arrive in a place and you want to wait in line, what you do is you call out Ultimo, which means last, and then whoever is Ultimo raises their hand, and then uh, and then and then you are Ultimo to that person, 
and then it, and then there's always some uh some like old cuban lady who will enforce the ultimo and they'll be like no that guy's ultimo so uh i can get down with waiting in line it's a good time to listen to a podcast okay i'm not surprised at all by that answer uh and so glad of course you stayed true to yourself because i will definitely roast waiting in line i I'm not as opposed to waiting as I am as opposed to lines. I am a non-linear thinking thinker. I don't believe in lines in general. I believe in more creative shapes. We can wait in parabolas. We can wait in cubic functions. Um, I think the fact that it is a line makes it boring, and that's why we associate waiting with boring. But if we started waiting in some more interesting shapes, then maybe we would enjoy the self-reflection that you you know supported. And 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 I think we can agree on that. Um, but then again, I'm not a huge fan of waiting anyways, because really you don't need to, to be waiting for stuff anymore. It's 2021 and, you know, Bezos, even though he is the devil, there hasn't been a call to boycott him from the people. So he's allowed us to not wait for a lot of items. And that's why I use Amazon because I don't have to wait and it allows me to avoid lines. Okay, definitely. Definitely. So, uh, Sammy, for the next one, you won't roast the same one. You will roast the following. You you will, you will have to do the alternate to the following picture. See that just that just shows you how much I hate lines. I didn't even know how to play this game. <laughs> so would you like to roll peace as the next one, Sammy? You go first. Roast or toast? Oh, I get to, I get to choose now. Yes. Okay. Um, world peace. I would like to. I would like to to roast world peace because it's such a uh, ridiculous concept because at, we no matter where you live, you always have neighbors that want to make noise. Nobody, no, not everybody wants peace at the same time. So to assume to assume world peace is to assume that we're like putting some people to sleep and that just not it's not going to end well. So we need to embrace that some people like to be loud and we need to just separate the loud from the peaceful. So I'm into world separation of the loud and the peaceful, and I'm going to go to the peaceful side. Okay, definitely. Segregation to some degree. <laughs> it's another way of putting it. It's not the term that I would have used. <laughs> uh, uh, is, that, is that it? That's all you have? Or more like congregation of the peace and congregation of the loud animals. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I'm going to go to the next photo. And Nato, you have to toast puppies, and this should be fair enough. This should be easy. Well, what does doesn't he get to choose if it's to roast? Well, no. So the rules are that the first person would have to go. Um, so whoever goes first each round, you know, yeah. Nato was first, the last one, you were first this time. Who whichever one the first one chooses, the second one automatically have to do the other. I see. I see. I thought NATO goes first every time. That's where I was confused. I'm. I'm, I'm sorry. I probably butchered. Is that because that's because I messed up the order earlier? It's also complicated. <laughs> Thank you, NATO. <laughs> this is this is this is why I hesitated about games. <laughs> so so I would. I'll say, go ahead and roast or toast whichever you like. Would you like to roast or toast? They should be able to choose. Uh. I'll, uh. I will, um, I'll roast puppies. Okay. Uh, people think puppies are cute. I think they're annoying. They're yappy. They jump on you. 
they they try to uh, hump your leg and uh, the uh, and and I prefer quiet and calm and peacefulness as Sammy mentioned earlier. I'm in the peaceful side of the concentration camp and not the loud side of the concentration camp um, that Sammy was proposing a minute ago. I think that's part of the platform. And, uh, and, and people always want to use puppies as a metaphor. People are always, you know, and like that puppies are just like a good thing that everybody likes. Fucking no. I think puppies are boring. They're like, if I want something small and adorable, a child, yes, but puppies are like, like, children like have the cute parts of children but then also a bunch of annoying parts that's not fun uh so down with puppies (laughs) fuck a puppy (laughs) fuck a puppy tom hanks sammy would you like to uh roast or toast (sighs) um i would like to toast tom hanks for being one of the early adopters of covid uh, you know, he he uh, he had it. He spoke out. You know, it wasn't in vogue at the time. He admitted he wasn't being safe when people were telling people to be safe. And you know, it later became cool. Very shortly after, it was Omar Elba. Then it was The Rock. Then it was you know Trump. And all these people were really just copy pasting Tom Hanks. Um, when Tom Tom Hanks was out there on the front lines, clearly working. He was working when the world was in an early shutdown. And uh, he wasn't afraid of getting COVID. And uh, that's what happens when you're not afraid of getting COVID. You get COVID. So toast, <laughs> toast to Tom Hanks. Definitely. All right. Nato, you have pineapples on pizza. <laughs> uh, I, will, I will toast it. Um, I'm, I, people, people don't like pineapples on pizza. I'm fine with it. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't seek it out. Like, I, I, I don't order it. But if it's there, I'm gonna eat it. Okay. Uh, uh, I will say I think there should be more variety in the options besides just pineapples and ham, or pineapples and Canadian bacon. Try fucking with pineapples and sausage on pizza. <laughs> uh, mix it up. <laughs> All right. So you are you are fucking with the pineapples on the pizza. All right. And now we have people who talk during movies. Sammy, would you like to uh, toast or? I would like I would like to toast, and I know this goes against what I was implying earlier. However, a movie theater is a place where we all agree to be at non-peace for a while. You know, you can say, "Oh, you're supposed to be quiet." Oh, oh quiet on one side of the room, but the 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 screens is going to be screaming at you. No, I mean, I think the movie theater is meant to be a loud place. And I've so often gone to movies where people's commentary is funnier than the movie itself. And if and if that ruins the movie for you, you're 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 believing in the fantasy too much. Go read a book. This is a movie theater. It's a public place where we come together and watch each other watch movies. Otherwise, we would just stay at home. <laughs> right. Well, you go to movies for the people to watch the people watch. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. We got a, when you think someone is waving at you, but they're waving at the other. (laughs) Uh, Oh, oh, definitely toast. I, I embarrass my children and lean into this all the time, all the time. Like I like strangers wave 
and I like fully commit to it. Okay. And I wave back, I smile, I like wave repeatedly until they acknowledge me. Uh, I think it's super funny to wave at people who don't know who you are. And yeah. it's something that I, they don't enjoy, but I enjoy, and and that's fine with me. Do you, do you ever do you know once you wave back at the other person? Have you ever like made a friend out of that in, encounter? Or? Um, Keith, I'm a I'm what you would call a, a extra a misanthropic extrovert. So I don't like people, but I'm really excited to get to know them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Sam, you got Anthony Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, roast or toast? Listen, I know I'm going to get a lot of uh, flack for this, but I'm going to roast him. Uh, I don't trust him. Um, <laughs> it, like, There's too much evidence now that he's possibly lying and been playing us and trying to push uh, a vaccine on us. We don't know. We don't have all the information yet, but I don't trust him. Um, he hasn't told us anything that we couldn't have figured out ourselves. You know, everybody's like, oh, praise Fauci because he was the one who told us to wear a mask after previously not telling us to wear a mask. Well, you know, so did my uncle. He did the same flip-flop. Um, oh, but Anthony Fauci, he knows, he knows, uh, <laughs> Anthony, all he does is whenever like, we're the world's reopening, he's like, well, not exactly. You know, he's like, Anthony Fauci is like the friend you go out to at the bar and they're like, the bar is open till two. He's like, well, actually last call is at 1.30. Anthony <laughs> Fauci is your last call announcer. And he was ultimately, even when you praise his best actions, they were superfluous. Definitely. All Damn. right. New math. <laughs> NATO, you have children. Are you familiar with new math? Uh, this looks like some common core shit and, <laughs> and I hate it that my kids have tried to show me how they're doing multiplication and long division using common core math. I don't understand it. I can't help them with their homework. I stopped being able to help them with their homework in fourth grade. Uh, this is, I don't want to be able to do this. This is why I have Microsoft Excel. Uh, so fuck new math. Definitely. That was a roast. All right, we got Muppet. Uh, Sammy, go for it. Roast toast those Muppets. You know, my first inclination was to roast them, but you know what? I am now toasting to their diversity. I mean, awesome. look at look at that bunch. Not one single similarity in sight. You know, and it made me realize that like. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm like behind on what the story is, but like Kermit and Piggy, actually, I shouldn't, I was going to say Kermit and Piggy have sex, but this, these are the babies. We shouldn't, we shouldn't <laughs> go there for this one, but it just does go to show that they, you know, in they're just, they're just fingering Stanley. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Nato, again for saving me. Uh, but in adult, in the adult Muppet world, which we can assume that they are taking on the same paradigm, it you know we should really toast that embracing of a diversity that a pig can fuck a frog, and 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 the message that that's sending to kids is a positive. <laughs> I, I could not agree more with you. Uh, eggnog. Toast. <laughs> how, how do you feel about eggnog, Nato? Oh, love it. Love it. Uh, uh, 
like not year round uh, and not a lot of it, but also like real eggnog. Like I have friends who will uh, who will like make a serious boozy dog with real eggs and then they'll give me a bottle and say, put this in the back of your fridge for a year. Wow. Uh, and then drink it. And then, and, and I have done so. It's a totally different thing. It's amazing. Eggnog, definitely. Boozier wow. the better. Okay. Shout out to that. Sammy, do you want to try another one? Uh, or do we have more? Yes, we do, but. Is <laughs> <laughs> that kind of like asking like, how much more time do we have? Yeah. Uh, let's do well. Let's do one more round. All right. All right. We got Disney's adults, and this is basically grown-ups without children who eat, breathe, and sleep Disney. Toast or roast? Oh, that is, that is not at all what I thought it was going to be. Um, <laughs> I was about to go into heavy praise, and now I am going to uh, roast. Um, <clears throat> Uh, grown-ups without children who eat, breathe, sleep, Disney. Like, just why not have the children at that point? Exactly. You know, yeah. I, I'm just like, I'm not, you know, I believe in people, you know, people want to have kids, they want to have kids. That, that's great. I may want to have kids one day, not at the moment, but uh, so I'm like, you know, I, I don't want to have kids right now for reasons. And I don't see this being an appropriate reason to not have a kid. Okay. And our last one, NATO. Uh, Crocs. Are you going to roast or toast the Crocs? Mm. No, no on Crocs. <laughs> Crocs are appropriate if you are either Mario Batali or a child. Uh, but if you are over the age of 14 and not named Mario Batali, uh, and also not a sexual predator, uh, then you should not be wearing Crocs. There are like uh, an abundance of other types of sandal options available to you that are uh, fine. They have good support. They are comfortable. They don't smell as bad. Do that. <laughs> All right. I, I agree with you on Crocs. I've never worn a pair in my life. Don't intend on. Um, thank you, gentlemen, for playing Roast or Toast. Thank you, Keith. One more hand yes, for Keith, so, everybody. Yes, you all have a great day. NATO, really quick, what was the name of that book you mentioned about the uh, revolution in Haiti again? It was. It's called Black Jacobins, J-A-C-O-B-I-N-S, uh, by, by C.L.R. James. C.L.R. James was a famous uh, Trinidadian Marxist scholar uh, in the 1930s. Okay, uh, thank you. And, and it is, it's a book about revolution that is actually funny. So, because he is like, he is savage at making fun of French imperialism. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, for sure. Thank you so much. You are Great. Put it in the chat. Thank yeah. you, Keith. Um, who doesn't like a funny revolutionary book? Um, what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, NATO, thanks so much for coming here, enlightening us, um, having fun playing some games. Um, as you know, I'm running a very strong presidential campaign for 2036. And, you know, your endorsement would mean the world to me, but I know it's going to be just as much work as it is to get my parents endorsement. And so I want to know if, if you have any advice for me in my campaign that might 
ideally that my parents aren't already wouldn't tell me. And I mean that in the best way. I mean, they, they have some great advice, but like, what, what would you, what would you tell me? Uh, what I would tell you is, um, is to, uh, is to, uh, make fun of your adversaries. Um, uh, I, I would tell you to, um, uh, uh, work hard to, uh, to understand the issues. Uh, I, I, uh, and also the other thing I would tell you is politicians always like the sort of like touching homily and, you know, like some quaint uplifting story about, you know, how you, came from humble roots or whatever, uh, or a small town or, you know, blah, 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 or like, and they want to have pictures of them with children and don't do that. Like be just fucking be an adult. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, awesome. And, uh, you said we can find you on socials anywhere else specifically to check you out. Anything you got coming up? Uh, I mean, nothing in particular I want to provoke uh, coming up. Uh, yeah, socials, at uh, Nato Green on Twitter, Mr. Nato Green on Instagram. I have two comedy albums out, uh, the Whiteness album, and most recently in the Nato Green Party. Um, and the best way to, to acquire them in order to support uh, comedy is via Bandcamp. So you can get my albums wherever comedy can be streamed or downloaded. But the most mo- I get the most money if you buy it on Bandcamp. Wonderful. Uh, thank you so much, Nato. Uh, really, really appreciate you being here. Uh, one more cheers. I hope to see you again in the flesh sometime soon. Likewise, bro. Great to see you. Yes. Anytime. All right. Take care. One more hand for Nato Green, everybody. Yay. Um, what a what an episode today. We learned a lot about unions, and of course, you know, I want to represent all people in my campaign. So here's my closing remarks. As your president, I will fight for the little guy, uh, but not just the little guy, the little gal and Lil Wayne and Lil Pump and Lil Kim and Lil Debbie and Lil Broccoli and Lil by Lil. We'll do it Lil by Lil. We will lift up this country. Now, you know, I'm a math guy. uh, And if we have the numbers, there's nothing we can't do. Um, Thank you so much. That was that 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 that's going to be a good line but but we need to rally with some really really strong lines so i have some ideas let me know what you think um the people's voice is obeyed huh uh <laughs> we want uncle sammy but not like that you perverts huh <laughs> uh two plus two equals math <laughs> um this isn't a joke uh, um there's no problems he can't solve except his own and what's a union anyway so uh yeah we're working on it everybody thank you so much for attending obey 2036 we're going to keep doing this Uh, of course if you like coming to these obey 2036 podcast recordings feel free to give us some feedback at any time and let us know if there's a certain guest you'd like us to book because we can book anyone in the world except jeff bezos so Thank you so much for joining. Uh, give it up for the KO staff and the interns. <laughs> Don't forget to not unionize, folks. We'll <laughs> catch you next time. Thank you so much, and God bless Cuba. Good evening. 
And welcome to Unions of America. Today, we take you back to the mime strike of 1975, where a mime named Toodles organized a union strike, but felt his concerns weren't being heard. Roland Fulton, a confused tourist, enjoyed the musings of Toodles the mime, but he didn't understand the customs of paying for the busker for his performance. Toodles rallied an imaginary collective of mimes and began to strike. Of course, this tourist assumed it was all part of the show, but Toodles persisted, showcasing the group's main gripes with a lack of tourist tips, like being trapped in a system that limits their capacity to grow. This only elicited a series of bemused chuckles and a few photos. Toodles attempted to demonstrate that working together can yield powerful results. By now, the tourist had lost interest and began to move on. When it finally came down to the negotiations, Mr. Fulton thought Toodles was just showing off the inside of his hat. He complimented the mimes taste, but Toodles and his angry horde of invisible mimes did not come to compromise. The movement it seemed was doomed. As the tourists moved on, an imaginary gust of wind blew away his imperceptible picketers. The mime had gotten nothing, which to them is something and thus the strike was settled and the peace restored. And to this day, thanks to the hard work of Toodles and his imaginary teamsters, mimes still make nothing. 